Well, I want to call the children up at this time. And if you can give me some help, if, you're, if you'd like to come up, if there's a few of you, that would be great. And you can help me. Come on up. All right. How are you doing? It might just be you and me this morning. I was going to give a car away, so um, this is great. Just kidding. Have a seat. Oh, two. Way to go. Basketball winner. Hello. Chicken dinner. Way to go. Have a seat. Well, this is July 4th. Were you hot yesterday by chance? You weren't? We, you were on the lake, so I know that you were there. And of all the crazy things I thought about at the beginning of the message, I thought about what it would be like for if it was a little bit cooler. I was working in my yard last night, yesterday, and I, was, I, got, a, um, uh, I got so hot, I needed something to drink. And so I got a glass of ice water, and so I thought about um, the winter. And so this is my favorite scarf. Someone gave it to me when I moved here. Um, please don't take a picture. I could get in a lot of trouble with my family. But you see, you can wear this or you can, this is really, it makes you look really handsome if you go both sides. But I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about um, winter and how you would try to convince somebody who lived on the other side of the world about ice. Um, our friends in uh, Chad, when we did Vacation Bible School, um, this is Chad right there, okay, right there. And this is where we live in Wisconsin. It says Ufta right there. <laughs> and I was thinking about this. I thought, how could I convince someone in Chad who has never seen snow or ice, how do you think I could convince them that there's something that's really that ice is, well, you can walk on it. You can walk on water. How do you think I could convince them? They've never seen it before. Any ideas? Here's what I was thinking. Did you have an idea? I mean, you can walk on water when it's frozen. And so I'm trying to convince my friend in Chad that that's really happening. And I, I try to convince him that, well, a, a truck can actually be on water when it's frozen. He might think I'm nuts. Um, and then I tried to explain to him something called a snowmobile. That makes a lot of noise and sounds really cool. It goes fast. And so I was thinking about what would happen if, if he wouldn't even believe me. He would kind of look at me like I was crazy and and I didn't know what I was talking about. Does it make it not true still? Right. There's a word I'm going to use in the message. In fact, it's the, it's the title for this message. It's called Trust Me. And the me isn't me, but the me is he, the great God, the God who is most high, who is almighty, who is one called Yahweh, and a personal God. And as two young men, you need to know this. God never breaks his promises. You can trust him. And I'm going to explain why we can trust him. So thanks for coming up. Appreciate you guys. May the Lord make you 
into oaks of righteousness. Walk with him all the days of your life. Thanks. You can head back to your seats. This sermon is entitled, Trust Me. Trust is an interesting commodity in our culture, isn't it? Like, who do you trust? How do you know you can trust the information? How do you know you can trust the news? How do you know you can trust what someone says is right and true? Over the course of the pandemic, this in particular, this psalm in particular, was one that I went to again and again. In fact, this three by five card was on my dashboard for over a year. It's Psalm 91, the psalm that we're going to take a look at. Psalm 91 traditionally has been a psalm that mothers would give to their daughters and sons as they were going off to war. Psalm 91. In this particular message, what I want to share with you is the reason why we can trust. Now, the me that's in quotes is not me, it's he. And as one British scholar helped me understand, you look at Psalm 91 through the pronouns. The first pronoun that you will read right away is I. The I is the ancient reader, <clears throat> excuse me, the ancient Jewish reader, and the I is you who are a follower of Christ. So the first thing that we're going to look at is I can trust him because he gives refuge. The second thing that we're going to take a look at, in fact, it's the longest section in Psalm 91, is this. You can be trusted because of protection. For protection. If the first one was refuge, then it's protection, and we'll break that down a little bit. And finally, this. The big eye or the divine eye is the one who steps towards us in very practical ways. Now, this is the fourth summer that we have gone through summer in the Psalms. And each time that we go to summer in the Psalms, we remind you of a key, couple key ideas in the Psalms that you can find throughout these beautiful Psalms. We know this, that God's people have always suffered. And in this particular Psalm, we'll talk about pestilence and destruction. The other thing the Psalms remind us is that God has called us to praise him. He is filled with sovereign glory, and we praise and worship and adore him. And you'll see that, like, right out of the chute in verses 1 through 2. The third thing about the Psalms is just underneath, when you peel back the Psalms and you step back and study them and go, I wonder what that means, is just underneath the Psalms is the story of redemption that the God of the universe really desires to have a personal relationship with each of us as individuals. But the other thing about the psalm, and what will make Psalm 91 kind of go, oh my word, is that the psalms really point to the Messiah. They really point to the Messiah. That's not a bias. That actually came from Jesus. Let me explain. Easter Sunday night, the resurrection of Christ. In the morning, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. In the afternoon, he appeared to two men walking on the road to Emmaus. One of them is Cleopas. They're so excited, they run back 
to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what they had seen, and then Jesus shows up in the room. And then he makes this statement in Matthew 20, excuse me, Luke 24. These are the words of Jesus. He says this, These are my words that I spoke to you when I was still with you. Everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when you read Psalm 91, it's perfectly appropriate for me to hand these glasses to you and say, friend, when you read Psalm 91, look for Jesus. Because he's in there. Because he said it himself. So I invite you to find a Bible. There are some few Bibles that are there. And open up to Psalm 91 if you're watching online. I hope that you will join us as well. Or if you're listening on the radio, you can uh, find one. And if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to be circling some words, underlining some words later in my message. And it will help you understand and hopefully take away what is here. Reading in Jesus' name. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You just sang that. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You'll only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread. You'll tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I'll rescue him. I'll protect him, for he acknowledges or knows my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and I will honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Let us pray. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to help our hearts understand and be equipped for this simple word, trust. Holy Spirit, You are the eye-opener of human hearts. You take ancient words that are alive and that are otherworldly and you touch sinful men and women with conviction that leads to repentance and belief. We ask boldly in the name and the authority of forgiven daughters and sons that you would do a miracle work again today in personal and practical ways. I pray that you would whisper applications to your beloved that we have never seen before. 
Heavenly Father, these powerful words reflect your character and nature. Strong words, but yet paradox. We are clay. We are mortals, we are sinful, and we are weak, yet you willingly approached us, and you loved us, and you sent your Son so that we might not just know you and know what you're like, but be invited also as well to have a relationship with you. So humbly we ask that this morning you would do the work of God, and this would be done by the Spirit of God, so that the kingdom of God here on earth would come about. So I pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to write some things down here, to make a note, to jot these down, maybe even write them in your Bible, so that you can go back and when you're discouraged, when you're asking questions, who can I trust, you can come back to this and say, trust me, here's why. Here's the first thing I want to share with you from the first two verses. The psalmist writes that we can trust him for refuge, Keyword, You see that there in verses 1 and 2? Strong words that are used. Look at the strong words. Circle the strong words in your Bible. Words like shelter and refuge and fortress. Uh, fortresses have walls that are strong, and they're built so that spears and arrows don't even make a dent on them. Doink. But what's a paradox here, what's unique here, is that there's another word picture or metaphor, if you will. Look at that word picture. It's that of a mother bird who gathers her little ones under her wings. Did you see that this spring? Just under our deck, we have a robin's nest. And I got in a lot of trouble because every time I would mow by, the mother would come out and give me the business. But isn't it interesting that here in verses 1 and 2, and then later in the Psalms, when you think about a wing, you can break a wing, can't you? But the mother bird takes it upon herself to protect from rain, snow, wind, and terror. Tim Keller in his wonderful book called Songs of Jesus, says this, the Old Testament does not explain how strength and sacrificial love could be compiled in God. It is only on the cross. It is only on the cross where we see the absolute righteous power and tender sacrificial love of God combined that shows brilliantly. I can trust him. I can trust him for refuge. And the reason why I can trust him for refuge are look at the names that are used. Do you see it there in 1A? There's four different names that are used in these two verses. The first one is Most High. It means the Most High means, well, the, the result of that is that it cuts down every other threat. It, it's polite, it's, it's in vogue, it's the narrative of our day to say, well, you pray to your God and I'll pray to my God, and they all go to the same places. There are no other gods. There's nobody else up there. There's not like a Buddha God and an Allah God and a God God and something else. 
this word says that there is one. He is the most high. The Christian reformer Martin Luther said this, of whom shall I be afraid? One with God is a majority. Jesus showed his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration as the most high. The second reason why we can trust him to be our refuge is the second word. It's almighty. It means Shaddai. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we meet first in Exodus chapter 6. It also means I'm the God of rest. And Jesus himself said, rest in me. Remain in me. We can trust this one for refuge because of the third name. The third name is Yahweh. The third name is the Lord. The third name is the one who is with us. He's always existed. He doesn't need us. If this world ceased to exist, he would still be Yahweh. I can trust him for refuge. And the fourth way is this, in verse 2. He is my God. He is one who is personal and wants to know him. I can trust him. Each name, I would love to do just a sermon after sermon after sermon out of the names of God. Each name is a deep well. And the reader, whether it's the ancient Jew or the present-day follower of Jesus, can stop and see both strength and care he never changes. Now, the next section of why we can trust him, the next section is the longest section. It's 11 verses in all. And we, or you, the pronoun you, can be trusted for protection. And here's why. Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist pastor in the 1800s, I quote from him quite a bit, says this, invisible protection is given for visible dangers. The omnipresence of God is a match for any deadly supernatural adversary. The first way that we can figure out about protection, we see it in verses 3 through 6, are words like shield and buckler. Some translations use the word buckler, and you might originally think it's is that like a belt buckle? This is a belt buckle of my dad's. It doesn't mean that. There are actually two words back to back next to each other. Shield is large as if to form a wall. Buckler, or the NIV, this NIV translation uses the word rampart, is a smaller shield that's mobile and individual. One is a large shield. One is a smaller shield. The dangers may be unseen, and they're strong. And for all of us, we experience the terror of day and night. One person said this, conscience makes cowards of us all. But because of trust, God gives us divine protection. And notice what the psalmist says in this section. He again goes back to refer to this mother bird, this one who has hard strength. But the mother bird doesn't have a weak wing. The mother bird is connected with a shield and a buckler. The second thing that we see in this section 
is that we, we see that the one who is called you is relational and that there's personal protection. Now, one of the verses that makes me cringe that is often used is when someone goes through a tragedy or hardship. Romans 8.28 is sometimes used flippantly. We know that in all things, God works together for the good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. Uh, This week, I had a hard conversation with someone who's going through a great tragedy. I prayed for him. I told him that God is with him, that he is loved, he's not alone. Sometimes we flippantly say that when someone goes through a hard personal tragedy. Is the verse true? It's true. But remember what comes seven verses later. Seven verses later, it says this, what can separate us from the love of God? When affliction comes, will that separate us? No. But will affliction not come for God's people? No. What about distress? Does that separate us from the love of God? No. But will distress come to God's people? Yes. What about persecution? Will that separate us from the love of God? No. But will persecution come to God's people? Yes. What about famine, hunger? Will that separate us from the love of God? No. But will famine and hunger come to God's people? Yes. And what about nakedness? Will that separate us from the love of God? No. But will nakedness and something like that come to God's people? Yes. In fact, this section is said in the book of Romans. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. We are more than conquerors in him who loved us. Here's what it teaches. God saves us in the troubles not from the troubles. That's the difference. Where is God? In the middle. The only thing followers of Christ can lose in sufferings are those things that are finally expendable. But the real you, the new woman in Christ, the new man in Christ, those things can never be harmed. Please know nothing can touch you but by God's permission and will. For you have made him your refuge, verse 9 says. Look what verse 9 says. It says, you've made him your habitat, your dwelling. He knows your days. He knows your weeks. He knows your years. You can trust him. Note verse 8. He will, no rebel will escape his retribution and wrath. He will bring justice and he will make it right. If not now, certainly in eternity. Certainly in eternity. You can trust him because of protection. And the final protection that comes is that angels are real. He gives supernatural protection. This additional strength, this unseen host given to the daughters and sons of the king, hearers of salvation. We are not just survivors, but victors, 
tramplers of deadly enemies underfoot, lies that come. So what does this teach about angels? The whole subject of angels is another entire different uh, sermon. But here's what the Bible doesn't teach, that when you die, you become an angel. Okay? The Bible doesn't teach that. It makes for really cool movies, a lot of cards, and fun stories. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God's Word says. So here's the reality, and you see it in verse 11, okay? And you break it down this way. First is this, he will give thee. This is official. This comes from the Most High, Shaddai, Yahweh, my God. They are his messengers on his behalf. Watch this, over thee. It's personal. Do we have guardian angels? Well, according to this, it says over thee. And I was laughing this week. I was thinking, man, do I owe my guardian angel an apology or two? Especially in the growing up years. Amen? Can I get an amen? But according to this passage of Scripture, what it says is they're his, they're his official messengers, and he gives this charge over thee. And the thee is you, if you love him. And the last thing it tells us about is it's constant in all, it's constant in all thy ways. Angels don't take off any days. They don't get a PTO for today. All thy ways. According to Matthew chapter 4, if you recognize this passage of Scripture, this was the passage of Scripture that the devil tested Jesus on in Matthew chapter 4. So if it kind of rings a bell like, man, where have I heard that before? Is Matthew chapter 4. And get a load of this. The devil questioned Jesus' identity. You've got to be kidding me. He said, if you are the son of God, show yourself. Here's how you test a worldview. Does it work in real life? For the first century Jew, or for the one who's reading this now, or listening to this now, we can rest on this final promise, this big I. This big I can be trusted. It is God's confirming pledge once again. And please understand who this person is. This is the one who said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept an oath that he swore. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we read this, The Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them and chose you, their descendants, above all nations, as it is today. It's not just an Old Testament thing. One of the verses that we give to brand new believers and that many of us have memorized is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You're saved. You're saved not because of works you've done so that no one can boast, but you are saved by the grace and free gift of the Lord Jesus. So why can we trust him? Why can we trust him? 
Three responses. Eight gracious gifts. Circle these. I'm looking at verses 14 through 16. Just circle these. Here's our responses. This is written to the person who loves the Almighty. Verse 14. This is to, written to the person who knows his name. This is written to the person who calls on his name. And look what he does. These gracious and beautiful, beautiful gifts. Underline them. He will rescue them. Verse 14. He will protect them. Verse 14. He will answer them. Verse 15. He will be with them in trouble. Verse 15. He will deliver them. Verse 15. He will honor them. Verse 15. He will satisfy them. Verse 16. And he will show them my salvation. You read those really quick, Pastor Kirk. I did. The first four are ones now. The next four are just above the horizon. Ones to come. Ones to come. I want to encourage you to claim one of those, to hold on to one of those, to say one of these are mine. You can trust them. So let me tell you a story, but let's look at our questions that we have. Go back to the names. Look at those four names. And if you and I were just having a cup of coffee, I would ask you, which of those four names strike you and encourage you? The Most High, the Almighty, Yahweh, my God. Which of those four? The uh, second question is this. Does God... Does God's protection mean followers of Christ don't suffer evil? How do you wrestle with that? I love God, and this is what happened to me. How do you wrestle with that? Be ready to wrestle with that, because as you leave here and go out into a broken world, that question will be asked. And finally, how do one of the eight gracious gifts encourage your soul and gives you reason gives you reason to say I can trust him here's why a couple years ago Julie and I had the privilege of uh, going to Chad our congregation was gracious and so along with Pastor Brian and Cammie we went to Chad and to see the mission work that God was doing. We met a missionary couple that I had heard about, Paul and Teresa Zabodi, who have outside of the capital city a mission compound, Audrey, in the town of Audrey. They take in Chadian missionaries and train them, consider it a discipleship school that's very intense for a year. And so we had an opportunity to meet Paul and Teresa and meet these beautiful families that were being trained on missions so that when we get their mission letters back now that are sent, many of you receive these, now it's with new eyes because we can understand, we can understand what their ministry looks like. 
And this winter, Paul and Teresa sent a mission letter back. And there was a phrase that Julie and I would repeat to ourselves during the pandemic from Paul and Teresa, and I want to give it to you. They said, pray for our new fellow pilgrims. They list their name along with their many children. For we are on mission together on a lovely hike to Zion. We're on a mission together, friends, on a lovely hike to Zion. When the hike is going to end, I don't know. I know who's with me. I know what's waiting for me. I know the ones that I want to bring along with me, which includes you. You're on a lovely hike to Zion. What a promise. Let's pray. Lord, trust is a commodity. And in this psalm, you've very clearly laid out why we can trust you. There are so many different stories of the folks who are sitting here, and you and you alone know those stories. So I pray that as the word of God has been spoken and as the spirit of God has been invited, that our souls would be strengthened, that our hearts would be strengthened, that when we stand and rise and leave and go to our homes and our apartments, our places of work, the web of relationships, we can simply whisper, I can trust you. And here's why. In Jesus' name.